Before we get started, we'll give a little shout out to our sponsor, Strange Adornments. She creates these absolutely beautiful rope necklaces with bones and beads. They're fantastic. I own three. Her products are so amazing. They sell out very quickly and you have to be very fast when you get to her site. Find her at Strange Adornments on TikTok and Instagram, S-T-R-A-N-G-E-A-D-O-R-N-M-E-N-T-S. Beautiful work. I have several of her pieces. So if you're into strange, kind of dark, esoteric jewelry, check her out. The Devil's Dirt Star podcast was created for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Greetings from the Devil's Dirt Star. A podcast for the esoteric and strange. Well, that was kind of a cold open. It was. I didn't expect that. It was fast. We only heard like two seconds of our theme song, you guys. (laughs) Well, welcome back to the Devil's Dirt Star. I'm your host, Big Spoon, and I'm here with my co-host, Ellsworth. (laughs) Hello. So today we kind of decided that we were going to do something a little bit different and a little on the fly, kind of after hour vibes, but I don't know if it's going to be an after hours. Maybe it'll be a regular. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> so today I'm going to talk about cursed films. Yeah. And I'm going to talk about B-movies. What kind of B-movies? I picked mostly, I picked one that I have not seen, but it is kind of known as like the B-movie, the most famous. If you look up lists of popular B-movies, <laughs> this one is always at the top. And then I, I picked ones that I personally liked. Okay, yeah. I'm into it because yeah. I'm like, oh, is she going to pick horror? Like Most B-movies I found were right? horror. I, I think probably because horror has a harder time getting financed than other um, Oh, I agree. Genres. That makes but, sense. Yeah, almost every list, if you look up B-movies, they're almost all horror. Yeah. Yeah. So where do we want to start? I am curious what cursed movies you selected. <sighs> so I did pick an obvious one. Maybe to some of you. I don't know. The big one that I picked. And then I have like a little mini dive. Ooh. Uh, the big one is The Exorcist. Awesome. Yes. Obviously, some honorable mentions. Poltergeist, The Omen. What else? Apparently, Grease has some stuff going on. The Crow. Really? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Weird, right? Yeah. I didn't get too into it. Maybe it's something we can revisit later. Yeah. And I really wanted to do The Crow. And then I was like, oh, wait. This isn't necessarily a cursed film. It's more about a cursed family. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I was having that conversation with John because I was like, The Crow is always on this list of cursed horror films. But, but really, it's more about the least. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, oh, we'll cover a topic eventually about yeah. that. Yeah. We'll dive into that before I get into the weird oddball I found that I was Ooh. like, what in the fuck is happening? <laughs> and it's actually about a film that never got made. But Ooh. it is, it is in the list. It is very interesting. I think you'll like I'm it. I'm curious, yeah. So yeah, The Exorcist, just as a mention, it was released on Boxing Day, December 26, 1973. And so basically the plot of The Exorcist, I found a really nice like write-up on IMBD by Nick Reganis. And it was just people that could post publicly like a good synopsis. Yeah, yeah. And his was the most like, Eh, I like it. Yeah. It kind of yeah. gets to the point. More and more, Reagan, the otherwise happy 12-year-old daughter of the successful actress Chris McNeil, is showing signs of erratic and disturbing behavior after an ill-advised contact with the supernatural. 
as the situation is rapidly getting out of hand, with perfectly healthy Reagan becoming increasingly violent and obscene, desperate Chris is willing to do everything in her power to keep her child safe, including seeking spiritual help. Now, Chris's only hope rests on the inexperienced Greek-American Catholic priest, Father Damien Karras, and the weary exorcist, Father Lancaster Marin, to perform the intricate purification rite that will rid Reagan of the malevolent spirit that is tormenting her. But can they confront the embodiment of evil? Ooh. Yeah, so I didn't want to spoil That's a good, anything. <laughs> oh, there are going to be spoilers on my end. So um, just as we bring things up, uh, yeah, I I did not hold back. So with the films that I go over, just know if you haven't seen them, I'm going to spoil them for you. Right. What I have here today is a little bit of a listicle in sections. And the first section is the death list. There Ooh. are purportedly nine deaths that happened during the nine-month span of filming. What? Yes. Film-related deaths? Like people that died on site. I have ones later on that happened a few years after with people that were, you know, part of the cast in some way wow. or part of the crew. It's very crazy. Nine? That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. There's other podcasts that do really good dives on cursed films and on this one in particular. Definitely check out uh, Whining Crime. I want to say also My Favorite Murder and Last Podcast on the Left Probably. have done different cursed films. Yeah. At some points in time, but so I'm just going to do my own little version. Yeah. My little listicle. I love reading listicles before bed. Puts me to sleep. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. just like, uh, what's that show? Forensic Files. Yeah. So, my death list. There's a gentleman on the cast. His name was Max von Sido, and his brother Axel Ulrich Bertel von Sido, very long Swedish name, he died unexpectedly in Sweden on the first day of shooting that Max was supposed to start the film, The yeah. Exorcist. He had just arrived in New York to begin filming scenes for his role as Father Mirren that morning. His brother, Axel, was age 65. No cause of death. Most likely natural causes. Yeah. We'll talk. 65 we'll talk was on like that. on the cusp of like, it's kind of young, but it's yeah. also not crazy young. I know. Yeah. It depends. But like, we'll kind of touch on like, is this a curse or is this, you know, natural causes, piss poor management of staff on the set, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. So the second one, Jack McGowan, who plays Burke Dennings. One week after his character was killed by the demon Pazuzu in the movie, possessed Reagan. Okay, so here's the thing. In the movie, you don't actually see this clip, but it is described to you later. There's a scene when Chris McNeil, Reagan's mom, she's driving home. It's late at night, and you see this set of stairs next to all the brownstones, and they live in a brownstone there. And... You see all these cops around, you see a ton of people around, but you don't really know what's going on. And then Chris goes up to her daughter Reagan's room. The window is open. It's freezing in there and she shuts the window. She closes the shades and covers her daughter up with all the blankets and everything. What you don't know is that Burke was supposed to be watching Reagan and she twisted his head completely backwards and threw him out the window and he rolled down that set of stairs that Chris passed by. Ooh. So the thing about Burke is that he is the director of a film that Chris is starring in. It's called Crash Course. And they're very close friends, like almost to the point of maybe possibly lovers. And Reagan alludes to it in the movie, like saying like, oh, you can invite Burke over. If yeah. If we're going to have a party or whatever, because Reagan's birthday is coming yeah. up. 
And she's only 12, by the way, in this film, which if you think about it and you've seen this movie, yeah. can you imagine a 12 year old girl doing, let alone a, an adult? There are some very graphic. Oh, yeah. Yes. There's a yeah. reason why people were vomiting all the time in the theater. Yeah, it's a, yeah. it is especially for the time. It holds up. It holds up. It really does. Yeah. Oh, so anyway, Reagan is possessed. Sorry, spoiler alert by the demon Pazuzu. And she ends up killing him. But Burke, the guy that played him, Jack, he ended up dying and his cause of death was influenza with complications from the London flu epidemic. And this was one month before The Exorcist was set to be released in theaters. And he was 54. Wow. Yeah, pretty young. But I mean, the flu, I, yeah, you know, the death toll is pretty up there. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. The next one. Vasiliki Maliaros, who played Father Damon Harris's mother, passed away from natural causes while the movie was still in production. She was 90. Also, apparently she was not necessarily an actress before this. She was actually like scouted in the city where the movie was taking place and was offered the role. Really? Yeah. Oh, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. But she was 90 again. Yeah. Reasonable. Not not shocking. And next, Linda Blair, who plays Reagan McNeil, had a grandfather pass away during the production. A cameraman and his wife had a stillborn baby, mm. unfortunately. Oh, that's so traumatic. I know. And then some weird ones. The night shift security guard was found dead on set. Of just... I don't know. I can't find his name. I can't find out anything about it other than, reportedly, he died on set and was found in the morning. Sus. Very sus. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of guards that were hired to kind of protect Linda Blair during this time. I can see, especially in the 70s, people being like, this is... People that were fans of hers, but also people that thought this entire thing was blasphemous. Yeah. Understandably. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. And then the last one is the person in charge of refrigerating Reagan's bedroom to sub-zero temperatures... They actually refrigerated her. Uh-huh. What? Well, back then they didn't have the CGI to like be able to see someone's like breath. breath. Oh Whoa. yeah. So Linda Blair is laying in bed in nothing but a fucking nightgown and a pair of undies. Yeah. Freezing. She must have gotten ill at some point. Yeah, in time. that's intense. Like I. Oh my god, it was bad. And everybody else was wearing like regular clothes yeah. or whatever. But yeah, she was absolutely freezing. Wow. Yeah. But he also died during production. I no need explanation. To know. This is not a normal level of deaths during a film, right? Nope. I mean, nine months, that's a, it's a lot of deaths in it, less than a year. Nine months, nine people, but there's more. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll get to that later, but I'm going to go ahead and dive into the injuries on set. And this, maybe it's the curse, but also I think it's piss poor management, in my opinion. I have to imagine on set deaths, you know pre-80s were a lot higher just as far as Yeah, so this is 72, where everything kind of started, and then filming during 73 and then released in December of 73. Things probably weren't great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Probably didn't have as much of a say as an actor back then. Oh. Okay, so injuries. I'm just going to, like, rapid fire some of these. A carpenter accidentally caught off his thumb on the set. Obviously cutting something. Unfortunate. Yeah. And, and chose his thumb. <laughs> what the fuck, guy? Oh. A lighting engineer lost his toe. How? Or technician. I don't know. I need details. 
I was picturing like one of those really long light bulbs. He yeah. just smashed it. Like, uh. Oh, you know, mm, that's conjecture. That, that made me physically. Re- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't know what happened. And there's very little explanation for all of these things. No matter how much research I was doing, yeah. I just couldn't really find any details. It's kind of surprising how, I guess I get it. Like in Hollywood, they like to keep things close to their chest. But yeah. just doing research on films, how much like you, you either have to pay to get information or is just not yes. there because people don't want to talk about it or share it. Exactly. Yeah. Or depending on when things happened, they just didn't document it. Cause, yeah, cause I mean, it wasn't important to yeah, them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And they probably didn't want to tout that kind of stuff for the film. They wanted to bolster other things. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Although if you're making a movie like the exorcist telling people that it's cursed is going to, I mean, if you're, <laughs> yeah. if you're the kind of person who wants to watch the exorcist to start with, that's just, incentive exactly well to me yeah to me we're in the dirt star so it's different (laughs) to the weirdos it's it's just gravy (laughs) it's just gravy oh that's a shirt okay (laughs) next another not so weird thing weird thing out of the 18 man crew that was sent to film scenes in Iraq, like the very first scene in the film, yeah. they're digging. Yeah. Like there's an archaeological dig I didn't there. realize they actually went to Iraq. Because oh. I feel like that's something to easily <laughs> wow. emulate here. Yeah. Find a deserty area. Nope, no, they went there. I guess we were more friendly with Iraq in the 70s. <laughs> Definitely probably in the 70s. Not so much now. No. We did that. Yeah, we, uh, we burned that bridge. <laughs> So they were filming the scenes in Iraq. Director William Friedkin lost the services of nine of them due to dysentery and sunstroke. Dysentery. Dysentery? Yeah. It's not 1776. I know. We're not on the Western Front. No. What's happening? Wow. So crazy. The Iraq location trip was supposed to happen in the spring, which would have been cooler and much safer for filming, but there was a delay until July when temperatures averaged around 130 degrees Fahrenheit or higher. Oddly enough, and something that deserves mention, is that the bronze statue of the Neo-Assyrian wing demon Pazuzu, which was packed in a 10-foot crate, got lost in an air shipment from Los Angeles and ended up in Hong Kong, which caused another two-week filming delay. Wow. Yeah. Pushing it further into the summer. Yeah. And there's this giant statue of this winged god yeah. demon thing. It's so cool. But my God. Who 130 degrees. Who was the guy who changed legally changed his name to Bazuzu and then killed a bunch of people? <gasps> what are you even talking about? Yeah, there's there's some guy what? who <laughs> legally changed his name to I don't know how to spell it, Pazuzu. Um is it Z U Z U? P-A-Z-A-Z-U. John Alexander Lawson. Pazazu. Known as Pazazu, legally changed his name in 2002 to conform with his Satanist beliefs with the surname Pazuzu Ela Algarad. And he has a lot of face tattoos. Kind of looks like this stuff. I'm pretty sure actually this is- <gasps> I've seen that guy. Okay. His face looks like a notebook someone doodled on. The man upstairs and I watched a full-ass documentary on this guy. He is wild. Yeah. So, yeah, he killed several people. Yeah. And... Was that his mother living in the house at the time? um, And that was my hang-up? girlfriend. Yeah. Or... Maybe his mother, too. There's... Like, she had her own bedroom, would never come out. Like, he took over the home. 
So the house contained broken glass and sharp instruments, hundreds of flies, dead and alive, decaying animal parts and remains, animal cages with carcasses, and dried blood-like substance on the walls. I feel like at that point, you can safely say it's blood. I don't even think you need to say (laughs) blood-like. We don't need to test for this. No. um, Yeah, he looks like a real dingus. You know he smells bad. He's rough. Actually, they mentioned that multiple times in the documentary. I want to say it was on Netflix, but I'm not totally sure. a little offended he did in the name of satan yeah actually <laughs> how dare you what a blaspheme <laughs> also last time i say pazuzu willingly i it's not a name you should be saying no but i think i've heard it interchangeably and i could be wrong about that with pazuzu and pazazu or pazazu yes, i i could never tell because i've only heard it if it's this if it's the same character with like kind of like azazel and azazel is yeah. it's like is it the same name or is it different beings with differently spelled names? You know what I mean? Is it the oh, same? Oh, that's fair. I just thought it was that esoteric and old that maybe... that That's probably what it is. Lost in translation yeah. or something. Yeah. Uh, let us know if we manifest something during the pod. Appreciate it. Yeah, hopefully, uh, again, happy we're at your place, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> I really need to sage my house. <laughs> we should oh, be filming in a salt circle. We sh- <laughs> when we have the pod... Pothole. The pothole. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Continuing on. Things got so bad that William Friedkin took some drastic measures. Father Thomas Birmingham SJ from the Jesuit community at Fordham University had been hired as a technical advisor for the film, along with Father John Nicola, who, while not a Jesuit, had been taught by Jesuit theologians at St. Mary of the Lake Seminary in Mundelein, So they Illinois. hired actual religious people to make it accurate. Yes. That's crazy. So you, yeah, like consultants. A very good friend of ours who listens to this podcast, hi, Natasha. Um, she <laughs> has a fear of some horror movies that they are actually, this specific kind of horror movie, they put things in the film that actually bring things to life. Oh, and that I get freaks it. me out because it makes me think maybe they were trying to make it super real and then they oh. might have manifested some okay. shit. That's not scary or anything. Fascinating. Natasha. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh. I'm so curious now whether they're like the verbiage they use because we watched Evil Dead together, the yeah. new one. And they, there was some terminology in it they used that like concerned her because again, it, I get it. I totally get that. Like when someone in a movie is, when they're like, like casting doing a spell, an incantation, incantation. I looked it up because I was like, oh, well now I need to know because I, I've never thought about that before. And it turns it out to be real. It was gibberish. Okay. Um, but I don't know if it was in the exorcist, how much of that was. Uh, that's, that's really, I mean, I appreciate that they hired people to like consult, make it accurate. I mean, I, I guess as accurate as you can be with like, especially know, for that stuff, time, but, like taking the care to do that. Yeah. I think it made a lot of sense. It probably helped too with the people who are against it being like, we consulted religious professionals yeah. to be, I mean, I don't know if you want to say respectful, but you know, to make it, it's a word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get what you mean though. Yeah. Yeah. So those two from Illinois, Friedkin, he came to Birmingham and asked them to exercise the set. So not in Iraq, but where it was in, um, wait, was it in Illinois? Oh my God. Where was the set? You guys, I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Just Um, name a state. I'll believe you. (laughs) There we go. Um, so the priest was unable to perform an actual exorcism, but he did give a solemn blessing 
in a ceremony that was attended by everyone that was then on the set and Max von Sydow from the technicians and the grips, like everybody yeah. that could possibly be in attendance. Nothing else happened on the set after the blessing, Birmingham said. But around that time, there was a fire in the Jesuit residence set in Georgetown. Right after the blessing happened, a fire broke out Whoa. in the Jesuit community, which is where he was from. So I need to clarify, and I feel like this is something that I've looked Please at before do. and I should know. Not clarify. I'm asking you for clarification. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should know this. I know I've looked it up before, and it still confuses me. Jesuit, does that mean Jewish? I believe so, but I could be wrong. We I, should ask your mom. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. She would, she would, she she would, would know. know. I'm define Jesuit because I feel like I've only, <laughs> oh, no, it is not Jewish at all. No. It sounds, I feel like the only time I've ever heard the term Jesuit totally. is when someone is referring to Jews, but it's not Jewish at all. What it is, is it? A, a member of the Society of Jesus, a Roman Catholic order of priests founded by St. Ignatius Loyola. I feel less bad about that. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> um, it is a zealot organization, according to Google. Hmm. Yeah. So not That's Jewish. Interesting. Probably super anti-Jewish, I would imagine. Ew. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not that I'm saying anyone deserves fire. No. No. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I don't know if they're anti-Jewish. I've just found that like really hardcore Christians tend to not like Jews because Jews killed Jesus, quote unquote, even though Jesus was a Jew. Yeah. Anyways, off that tangent. I have found similar things no worries <laughs> next injury <laughs> so ellen burston she plays reagan's mom chris mcneil who's also an actress in the film who's the only reason they're like in this city living in a brownstone is because she's on set filming there and they're supposed to leave and actually go to europe so this is like an intermediate thing once filming is done they're gonna go to europe reagan's gonna see her dad who's over there but then a bunch of bullshit happens. Yeah. So anyway, Ellen Burstyn, Reagan's mom, she endured a permanent spine injury on set in a scene where she was thrown across the bedroom. Her harness malfunctioned <gasps> and it pulled her away too quickly, oh. causing her to land on her coccyx. And I'm telling you right now, I pinched a nerve this morning. So I decided to um, throw a hot pack on, lay very awkwardly on my couch and watch The Exorcist because I was like, yeah. You know, yeah. Whatever. Might as well Absolutely. get me in the mood. Yeah. I saw that scene and you can literally tell, like, I don't even need to tell you the point at which in the yeah. movie she is injured. She is screaming her head off. Yeah. Just screaming. And the cameras keep rolling. Anyone it's awful. who's injured their coccyx or coccyx, cock, I can never pronounce it. Your I tailbone. Hear. Yes. I, I don't know if I broke it because I didn't go to the doctor, but I was pushed off bleachers when I was a kid and I landed on it and it took years for me to not feel pain there. I bet you, you did break it. it. Dude, that shit fucking sucks because it hurts when you walk. It hurts when you sit. There are very few positions. So I would have to, like, this is when I was finally in, in like a, a school, a high yeah. school, um, when I was at a track practice that someone pushed me out. Like not being mean, we were just no, goofing around. but, but like, it I mean, it was still hurting by the time I got to college. If I ran a certain way or whatever, I could feel it. It just like. That's awful. I can't imagine being flung against a wall with such force that you, and then having to continue filming. Well, and she's like a relatively young woman in that yeah. film. She still feels that pain to this day. I believe it. 
Yeah. Like yeah, spine, spine stuff is not a joke. Dude, tell me about it. My fucking neck's killing me. I feel like I got a stick up my ass. Oh. Like I'm a puppet. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Oh. I got my hot pack. I got me an Arizona hard tea. I love this. They're so, so good. good. <laughs> I love it so yeah. much. Yep. Tastes like tea. It's danger. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) so next, Linda Blair was haphazardly strapped into a mechanical rigged bed for one of the film's terrifying possession scenes, which resulted in her lower spine being fractured. There's many scenes in the film in which the bed is just like rocking on the floor and it's violent and crazy. The actress was, how old was she? She was 12 too, or is it just the character? I believe she was 13 or 14. Fracture Or 13 turning 14 when the- Film a lifelong, uh, you really don't ever fully recover from yeah. a spinal injury. Like that sticks with you. She was so young yeah. to be dealing with a major injury like that at such a young age, very exposed in a lot of ways. Well, yeah, there's, there are uh, just spoiler alert, but there's a scene where she's like stabbing herself in the cooch with a, with a crucifix. With a metal crucifix. <laughs> and to think, you know, I mean, at, at that age, that's. I have to imagine yeah. there was some some form of trauma just from filming. Oh yeah, and she has definitely said as much. Yeah. There's I've read interviews in the past from Linda Blair and she's hosted some like spooky shows in the past That's and cool. stuff too. Unfortunately, I think she got a little pigeonholed into things. I get it. Yeah. But at the same time, like what an incredible little girl being able to film those scenes yeah. and being so mature. Well, as as mature as you could possibly be. It, she did a fantastic yeah, job. She did. Yeah. It's so believable. And even just watching scenes in the beginning where she's talking to her mom, Chris has done like a long day of shooting. Yeah. She comes home, Reagan's talking to her, they're making birthday plans. And she's talking about having lunch like on a riverbank and a guy with a gray horse comes up and she was like, mom, can we get a horse? And like all these really sweet just things. Just believable child. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there's also an Ouija board scene that I didn't remember. Yeah. I don't remember that either. Is that how she gets possessed? I think so. They don't. So I was trying to figure out, I've seen this movie a hundred times, but like since I was a kid yeah. and never really thought about it. There is a scene where Reagan and her mom are kind of like in their basement and Reagan's making like craft things in the corner. She's got a corner desk with all this craft stuff. There's a ping pong table. She starts playing with that. And then Chris sees an Ouija board. And she was like, hey, do you know how to play this? Where'd you find this? And she was like, oh, I found it in a closet. And Reagan grabs it from her and she was like, here, I'll show you. And so her mom's like, no, you need two people. And Reagan's like, no, you don't. You just need one. Oh. And, right? yeah, and her mom's like looking at her. <laughs> Don't love that. Well, and then Reagan starts going on to explain that the person that she talks to is named Mr. Howdy. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. I mean, mistake number one is using a used Ouija board. Oh, ew. Just, you don't know what's been done with that. You don't know if it was goodbyed the last time it was used. <laughs> what? Oh my God. Another quote. Was your Ouija board goodbyed? <laughs> I love yeah. It is key. Ew. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, whatever. Talks to Mr. Howdy. Yeah. And she asked the board, like, is my mom pretty? And nothing happens. But right before she asked that question... 
they put the planchette on the board and it like slides off the board. And her mom's like, oh, you really don't want me to play, do you? And she was like, no, Mr. Howdy doesn't want you to play or whatever. Yeah. Mm -mm. And then Mr. Howdy doesn't say anything about how pretty Chris is, which is rude. It is rude. Yeah. Anyway, I'm pretty sure that's when things start to happen. Yeah. Plus a lot of weird sounds in the attic above Reagan's room. And the mom thinks that there's rats in there or something. Rats above a room too. I mean, we've had, you know, I think anyone who lives, lived in anywhere, probably not even country, but you know, rats or raccoons or opossums or whatever in the attic. Mm -hmm. It's a freaky sound at night because it really, it is a loud, scratchy, like rustly noise. Yeah. (laughs) I don't like it at all. I mean, inherently with nothing spooky going on, it's spooky. And then there's, you know. Ew. (laughs) Mm. But yeah, demons. It was a demon, not a rat. (laughs) Rat demon. (laughs) So as I was saying, she was strapped to this rig and she fractured her lower spine. The trauma of that moment was immortalized forever when the take of her incurring the injury made it into the final cut of the film. Wow. Yeah. Meaning that the crying and screaming the audience sees at one point in the film is not a result of great acting, but is instead Blair's genuine cries for help that went unanswered as the cameras kept rolling. Wow. Pretty shitty. Do you remember when the original Godzilla was made? Was it, was that, was 60s? I was remember. it earlier than the, well, it, it no. Was, it's older. I, I just remember hearing that in, I think it was the original Godzilla, one of the Godzillas where the thing is like holding the woman yeah. and she's screaming. She's actually screaming because it broke her ribs. Like it, <gasps> the machine clutched too tightly. Oh no. And it just make, makes me think of that where you're just like, they think you're like, yeah, you're nailing this, this take. And in reality, they're just like, no, I'm actually being crushed to death or oh like God. shaken to death or thrown into a wall too hard or whatever. That's so goddamn scary. It's, it's metal, but like not necessarily in a good way, but like it makes for yeah. good content, I guess. I think that happened to Brendan Fraser in the mummy. The Sometimes, hanging scene? Oh yeah. I remember yeah. hearing that. Didn't he black out? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if the director's like, just like, you know. Let it happen. <laughs> I really want this to be like good. Just a couple more seconds. <laughs> we don't have wrong. <laughs> oh, sorry. Was that, were you, are you good? <laughs> Fucking director. So oh my God. his money in the back. It's I don't so know. terrible. Yeah. And the last one for injuries. So the son of Jason Miller, the son's name is Jason Patrick. So Jason Miller, he plays Father Damien Karras. He's the younger, inexperienced Greek priest that's in the movie. So his son was nearly killed when he was struck by a motorcycle. And he was like itty bitty, like a little kid. Yeah, but he made a full recovery. Yay. That's good. Yeah, he's fine. The last section that I have about this, I called it High Strangeness. Hi, Henry Zabrowski. (laughs) Because it's just like weird shit that happened. And I didn't really know where to put it in the grand scheme of everything. So I'll just like go through this now. So the McNeil house, Reagan and her mom, Chris, the brownstone they're staying at. Yeah. That's where the film takes place. And it caught fire around 2.30 one Sunday morning, which was the result of a broken electrical circuit. One source states that a bird flew into the electrical box. And that's what caused this short circuit in the fire. Oof. Varying reports say that three people died during this fire. Wow. So there's more deaths maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> and this caused a six-week delay until the set could be rebuilt. 
And the stupid thing is that once it was reconstructed, the sprinkler system broke and it caused another two week delay. And I wanted to mention that the only room left from the fire was Reagan's room where the exorcisms take place. So her room was untouched by flames. The rest of the house. Weird. Yeah. Interesting. And then Jason Miller, he appeared in the film as Father Karras, one of the priests enlisted by Reagan's mother to help her daughter. However, while working on The Exorcist, the actor was allegedly approached by a real-life priest who had no knowledge of the film he was working on. Was he, like, in costume? Like, did he... I don't know if he was. That's actually a very good question. Yeah. Like, huh. if he was, like, hey. If he approached him and was like, hey, step brother, like, yeah. not, just the not necessarily, like, man to man, but priest to priest yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> that makes sense. So he handed him a medallion, and the priest said to Miller, reveal the devil for the trickster that he is. He will seek retribution against you, or he will try to stop what you are trying to do to unmask him. And he didn't know that he was in. He had no idea Whoa. that he was playing a priest in the movie. Metal. Very. Yeah. Yeah, but it's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> and then reportedly the film premiered in Rome in a theater located between two churches during a huge lightning storm. I don't, this is like one of the most famous things. Metal. Yeah. <laughs> right? What a cool venue. <laughs> but this is like a very famous thing. And usually if you know anything about the exorcist curse, this is it. So while the movie was playing, one of the church's 400-year-old crosses was struck by lightning and dramatically fell in the middle of the piazza. Bro, Bro. I'm so <laughs> mad I wasn't alive to be there. <laughs> was somebody filming? <laughs> like, that's so, so cool. Isn't it cool? Because even if it's just a coincidence. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm like, hopefully, I'm like, it's a coincidence, right? It's probably a coincidence, but that's, I mean, so if, rad. if you believe in this stuff, I mean, that's confirmation. <laughs> I mean, you're like, yeah, this, this shit is, I would be going to church every Sunday. I, so I had a dream <laughs> last night that involved the end of the world and whatever. And there were demons and stuff, but hey. the defining moment in the dream was, you know, it was the end of the world and we realized that there were demons and I was just like, well, I was wrong. <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> there is a oh, heaven dear. and hell. <laughs> Oh no. Oh, that's the worst dream to have. Where you know the answer? Yeah. Oh, it's ew. just like <laughs> oops. I don't like it. I don't it like too, it at all. Is it too late to change my mind? By that uh, point, if you were yeah. seeing it, yeah. Yeah, probably. Just ugh. like me changing my mind about packing underwear for the apocalypse. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> too late. Bombs been dropped. Gotta borrow. Oh, uh, damn it. Okay. <laughs> People viewing the movie were so freaked out in theaters, reportedly. So basically, the theaters would start providing, like, barf bags to everybody. I mean, some of the stuff is pretty gross for the time. Yeah, You know, I can respect it. And the paramedics were also at the showings. That See, if I'm going to a movie and they're handing out barf bags and there's paramedics, I am pumped. I'm buying the extra big... (laughs) thing of popcorn and i'm sitting in the front <laughs> so awesome count me in yeah i would pay extra for it is there are there any modern movies that are even comparable probably the only thing i can say would be remotely comparable is hereditary because that movie I literally was just gonna say hereditary because that would be the only the, one the scene with the telephone pole <sighs> if I, you know you I know i think i audibly was like you just Oh man, that's such a good movie. I think I was like doing something while I was watching it. And then I just like sat there and I was like, (laughs) 
because <laughs> like, like, the movie's fairly done. slow up until that point, and then you're just like, and then they cut to the next day and the ants. And I always think, you know, someone got paid for their ants. <laughs> <laughs> If you know, you know. If you know, you know. Yeah. But let me tell you what, they had my attention. It is, as that is, as, oh. in my opinion, the best horror movie that's ever been made. Yep. Yeah. I, I would agree. It's going down. It's it's on the list with The Exorcist as, as being iconic. If somebody asked me what horror movie to watch that would truly terrify or mess them up, I would tell them. You might need therapy after, but it's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be in a certain, like, you know. Yeah. Um, mood. Yes, <laughs> to watch that it kind is, of stuff. It is art. Yeah, yeah. So apparently, at one of the showings of the film, a woman was so stressed out and frightened that she passed out and broke her jaw on the floor. <gasps> Ooh. Yeah, it's okay though. She sued the production studio, um, saying insidious subliminal messages caused her to lose consciousness. Warner Bros. settled out of court for an undisclosed amount, but we bet that it was hefty. Legend has it that some theater goers were even taken out of buildings on stretchers. One thing I want to mention about that, the director is reported to have said that there are weird double images in the movie that they didn't do. So they think there was some kind of film error that happened in editing or... Or someone was just fucking with it. I don't know, something. but there's like very odd double exposures that were not purposefully supposed to be they in the film and they made vibes. it in. Mm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> very much so. Wow. Yeah. Kind of crazy. Imagine going to a horror movie and then getting scared by it and then suing the company for doing what they're supposed to do with a horror movie, which is scare you. It's Don't buying, be a <laughs> buying a hot coffee. You're an idiot. Spill it on yourself. Yep. But accidents happen yeah. and then you sue the company. You bought the coffee. Yep. Yep. So from an article titled Behind the Scenes Stories from the Exorcist are scarier than the actual film by Sarah Long. Mercedes McCambridge, who provided the demon's voice in The Exorcist, was struck by tragedy in 1987 when her son murdered his wife and children before killing himself. This I did not know about. Also, this lady is fucking cool. Her son isn't, but she is. No, oh man. Yeah, bad. So, <laughs> the article goes on to say, did we mention he put on a scary, wrinkled Halloween mask before embarking on his rampage? It was later revealed that her son had been accused of fraudulent activity at his investment company and had been fired a few days before shooting his family, according to Movie Pilot. Yeah, but... You don't, you don't got to put the mask on. That's another level of unhinged. That's some Michael Myers ass yeah. shit. Like, what the fuck? Get out of here. And get this. He was fired on Friday the 13th. <laughs> okay, that's, there's just, sometimes it's just, that, that can't be a coincidence. What? Like, it's over the top. Yeah. It's so much. I feel so bad for the family, for his mom. Like, oh my God. And just uh, family annihilators, man. That'll They're, be an episode yeah. for sure. So the incident sent McCambridge into hiding, but she was later exonerated of any wrongdoing by a note left by her son, according to the LA Times. Why, what, why, would, why would she even, what wrongdoing could she have possibly done? I don't know. Maybe they thought that she was culpable for protecting him or oh, something, yeah. but he must have left. Yeah. Like, a, no, I would imagine. Oh. Is there another name now? That's more PC. 
a self-unaliving letter. There you go. Uh, streaming. Where, where's that place that we did the live stream on? Twitch. Twitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Next time it's going to be YouTube. I'm like, <laughs> we're not Twitch friendly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so a fun thing about McCambridge is the one who did the Pazazu or Pazuzu voice. I got to stop saying that demon name. She achieved her hideous demon voice by chain smoking and forcing herself to vomit a raw egg mixture. Now that's commitment. <laughs> that is really commitment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, hang on. Who? The little girl didn't do the voice. It was some. No, okay, it was I a was grown, say, just, grown this ass woman. chain smoking. <laughs> that's intense. <Hey. laughs> yeah. Wow. No, she, um, she like was really committed to making that voice and just listening to it while watching the film this morning. I was like, Oh my God, I can't even imagine how you would feel. And the shitty thing about it, she didn't get credit for the voice of the demon when the movie came out. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what all the sources I've been reading were saying. And she took them to court, like the people that made the movie and everything. And she ended up winning. Good. So I would imagine McCambridge has credits in the film now, yeah. which I'll be looking for yeah. when I finish it. But I was like, wow, are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. That, w- that was like a huge point in the movie, like the creepiness of that voice and how fucked up it is. It was a big deal. Give that woman fucking credit. Yeah. Whatever. The last thing in my high strangeness. So did you know that there was a person on the movie and he was most likely a serial killer, Paul Bateson. I mean, that's the name of a serial killer. It really is. I, Where's you his can't middle name? Your kid. I mean, <laughs> do you know any normal Pauls? Get at us if you know a normal Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think if I know a Paul and you're normal, I apologize. I just can't think of you at the moment. I don't think I know any normal Pauls, though. I think every Paul I know is. I feel like I've already said too much. <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh, Paul Holes. Paul Holes is fine. His name is Paul Holes. Yes. <laughs> Do you not know about Hot for Holes? No. <laughs> <laughs> Although it sounds familiar, I, so I feel like you might have told me about it before. So he was the one that, oh my God, he's on Barry Bones with Kate Winkler Dawson. Okay, yes. And he is a forensic investigator. He's retired now. Um, he used to oversee his own crime lab. So he's lab. still a little weird. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's an acceptable but, weird, But, like, though. amazingly weird. He's gone on to do, like, other TV shows and things after being retired. That's awesome. And he was the one who helped find the Golden State Killer. He had been working on that case for, like, decades. That's yeah, huh. Very cool. Yeah. All right, so yep. one not weird Paul. One good Paul. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So I'll just read you this excerpt. This fucking asshole, Paul Bateson. He appeared in the film as a radiologic technologist performing a cerebral angiography on Reagan McNeil and was in real life a radiographer at the New York University Medical Center. So they're doing like kind of MRI type stuff so they could see if there was any kind of blockages in her brain that were causing her to act out and swear and be really vulgar to people and like hit people. Um, and make things levitate, such as herself. So, <laughs> science. <laughs> science. Four years after the filming of The Exorcist, Bateson met 
Addison Verrill at the Badlands, which was a gay bar. And they partied until like three in the morning, whatever, just doing their thing. And then they stopped at Mineshaft, which is a BDSM club, and hung out there until going to Verrill's apartment. Interesting that there's BDSM clubs. How does that... Back in the 70s. So do you... This is in the Greenwich Village area. Are you just going to like meet other BDSM people or is there stuff going on in this club? I don't know. Is what I need to know. (laughs) Tell us more. Yeah. If you've been to one, we want some details. Yeah. Anyways, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, they hung out at this club until they went to Veryl's apartment at 7.30 a.m. And they were intimate with one another. And this is a quote from Bateson, who anonymously called Village Voice. There was a journalist that worked for the Village Voice. His name was Arthur Bell, and he had just written an article on Verrill's murder after Addison Verrill's body was discovered, and then also talked about all the gay men that are going missing in the Greenwich Village during this time, and no one was doing anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. At, uh, what is, what's the term, the invisible dead or something like that? The, oh, like the lesser dead? Lesser dead, yes. Yeah, yeah. I fucking hate that, but it's like- yeah. You know, it's it's good to know who's categorized into the lesser dead so, mm-hmm. so that we can actually fucking start paying attention to it. Yep. You yeah. know, that like they say anyone who's in sex work or, you know, is gay, yep. LGBTQIA. It's, God damn it. So this is what Bateson said. Something hit me. Addison hadn't been reciprocal. It wasn't just the sex act itself that wasn't reciprocal. It was the soul act, too. I wanted a lasting thing, something that would go beyond sex into friendship, a lover, or marriage. Bateson then went to the kitchen, grabbed a frying pan, and knocked Addison on the head with it. He then confessed to Belle. Then I went into the drawer at the right side of the kitchen, removed a knife, and stuck it into Addison's chest. I plunged it too high. I should have stuck it a bit more toward the center left. So if you're looking for a long-term relationship, this is not the way to do it. No. Not it. That's not the answer, my friend. (laughs) The first night? You guys are hanging out? Also, you can't go to a bar for a one-night stand and then be mad that it turns into a one-night stand. That is, that's kind of psychosis. Like, I just don't, I don't get. Uh, Yeah. Not even psychosis. Any kind of mental break that leads to killing other people. I just, I can't imagine getting. Yeah. Like I want to know what happened before in the past to Bateson to make him think that this was the solution. Yeah. It does kind of give you serial killer vibes. Yeah. Like, like makes you wonder if he's done it. Yes. Yes. Especially since other men have been going missing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh man. Bateson ended up spending over 23 years in prison before spending five years on parole. No one knows his whereabouts, but it is believed that he died back in 2012. He was suspected of having been the culprit of the bag murders, where six men were killed, their bodies dismembered, stuffed in trash bags, and thrown into the Hudson River between the years 1975 and 1977. Wow. But the thing is, Bateson could never solidly be tied with any evidence to these murders, and they are all still unsolved. Wow. Yeah. And then just some quotes that I have, two little quickies. And while nothing else tragic occurred on the set, strange events and odd coincidences were reported during the post-production work on the film. 
There were strange images and visions that showed up on the film that were never planned, Friedkin later claimed, like I was saying before. There are double exposures in the little girl's face at the end of one reel that are unbelievable. Again, if you watch this movie, you will see it and you will know immediately what he's talking about. It is very odd. It looks like Reagan's face. It also looks like an exposure of the demon's face, but there's something wrong. It's just... I hope that there's an intern out there who's just like... (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? Because I mean, what a fucking prank to pull and just like never tell a soul. I know, right? Like what genius editor was doing that? Has to be. And then the last quote. I don't know if it was a jinx, really. Actress Ellen Burstyn later said, again, Reagan's mom, Chris McNeil. But there were really some strange goings on during the making of the film. We were dealing with some really heavy material and you don't fool around with that kind of material without it manifesting in some way. There were many deaths on the film. Linda's grandfather died. The assistant cameraman's wife had a baby that died. The man who refrigerated the set died. A janitor who took care of the building was shot and killed. I didn't mention that. Jesus. (laughs) I think overall there were nine deaths during the course of the film, which was an incredible amount. It was scary. Yeah. And that's it. Wow. Just in a nutshell, quick rundown. Yeah. Lots of bad vibes. Yeah. Not, not good. No. Do you want to go over your next cursed movie and then we'll move on to B movies? I could. Yeah. Okay. I had to cover this because I was just like, what in the fuck is actually going on? I don't understand things. So this is my mini dive for, I believe it's called a took and it was a movie that was never made. Because every time somebody is interested in taking the lead role of the film to play the character it took, they die. So the film has never been made. How many deaths? Uh, six. Six? Yeah. Well, All right. That's not a coincidence. <laughs> if it was like two or three, I'd be like, that's bad luck. Six? Wait, we need a death count because there's people that were going to play these roles and they are famous. You will know almost all of the names. And then some of those people had friends that they tried to get into the cast and those people died as well. Yeah. I was like, what in the actual fuck? There's a book called The Incomparable Atuk by Canadian author Mordecai Rickler or Richler. Both sound realistic. So <laughs> Richler, let's yeah. go with that. And it was published in 1963. And the title in America was actually changed to Stick Your Neck Out. Hmm. And... From the dust jacket, the summary reads, Transplanted to Toronto from his native Baffin Island, Atuk the poet is an unlikely overnight success. Eagerly adapting to a society steeped in pretension, bigotry, and greed, Atuk soon abandons the literary life in favor of more lucrative and hazardous schemes. The incomparable Atuk is Mordecai Rickler's most famous and devastating satire, lampooning the self-deceptions of the Canadian identity and deriding the hypocrisy of a nation that seeks cultural independence from slavishly pursuing the American dream. So the vibe I was getting from it is that it's almost like a great Gatsby, but yeah. in reverse and weird. I don't know. Yeah, I get, I get it's definitely, it's very like anti-capitalist kind of sounds like almost. It is yeah. like he's falling for it, but at the same time, yeah, yeah. So I have just a small little excerpt from an article called The Curse of a Took, a Hollywood script that has killed six actors. That's 
Still, that's crazy. I know. It's crazy. Um, and this is by Charlotte Hollingsworth in Paranormal Shit. She has a blog. That's cool. <laughs> it's, it's very it's fun. called Paranormal Shit? That's- <laughs> I don't even think the blog is called Paranormal oh. Shit. But that's how she titles herself. So I oh. kept it in. I was like, <laughs> all awesome. right, fun. Maybe that's the section this is in. <laughs> So a total fish out of water story, but in the movie version, he lives in Alaska and ends up in New York City. So just a little bit different. And a woman visits his town in Alaska and she's a documentarian. When they leave, he stows away in their plane. When he arrives in the city, she saves a young man who is the son of a powerful real estate mogul and hijinks ensue. The film adaptation was requested by Norman Jewison he was a Canadian director and producer who helped start up the CBC Canadian Broadcasting Company, mm-hmm. right? And Todd Carroll wrote the adaptation and Jewison planned to film it in Canada. So this is the meat and potatoes with all of the death and the names of the actors <laughs> that you might be surprised to hear. From the article, The Curse of a Took, the bizarre connection between the unmade film and the deaths of several beloved actors by Chad Glampian... Check this shit out. Some consider the unproduced screenplay a took cursed. Based on Mordecai Rickler's or Richler's 1963 <laughs> novel, The Incomparable A Took, the story follows a young Inuit poet and native of Baffin Island. The titular character is transported to Toronto where he oddly becomes an overnight success after being exalted by Canada's urbanite citizenry. A took quickly adopts the greed and pretensions of metropolitan life. Carroll completed his final draft of the script in 1979 and tapped actor John Belushi, a personal friend, for the lead role of a took. Number one. Wait, John Belushi died? Oh, he'd been dead. I didn't know that. Animal House? Yeah. Yeah, he's been dead for a very long time. He died at the age of 33. I did not know that. I I mean, I'm really bad with actors and names and their histories, but I did not not know that he died. (laughs) Interesting. So this movie... Check off the list. Kill John Belushi. <laughs> well, that's nuts. I guess that's a little debatable, actually. We'll get into it. So Belushi was intrigued by the story and accepted the role. However, in March of 1982, tragedy struck when Belushi's trainer, Bill Wallace, found the actor dead inside his hotel room. According to the autopsy, Belushi died from an overdose of cocaine and heroin. Ooh, Investigations. Yeah. They revealed that rock groupie and backup singer Catherine Evelyn Smith provided the drugs. Smith was arrested and questioned by police, but ultimately released without standing trial. Speculation ensued that Smith was a police informant. I'll just leave it recording. It's John. What? Oh, oh. <laughs> oh hello. <laughs> Okay, we'll keep recording. <laughs> scared the hell out of me. I'm like, who's in my house? Thank you. Oh, God damn it. That's funny. Oh. <laughs> we got chili. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. Speculation ensued that Smith was a police informant and Belushi's death was a drug sting gone wrong. Smith eventually served 15 months in prison after pleading guilty to involuntary manslaughter. Wow. Though the results of Belushi's autopsy were disputed, official records still labeled the cause of death as drug overdose. He was only 33. Wow. 
So a tuck was back on the market. Yeah. <laughs> and purchased by production company United Artists. United Artists recruited comedian and actor Sam Kinison for the role. Kinison accepted and production began in 1988. However, Kinison was difficult to work with, having his own battles with alcohol abuse. He was actually a religious guy. What is a religion that starts with a P? Protestant? Nope. Another one. Presbyterian? Pick another one. <laughs> Puritan? <laughs> Let me look it up real quick. I knew I was going to regret not putting this in there. Damn it. <laughs> Pentecostal. Okay. Okay. Yes. So he was actually a former Pentecostal preacher and he performed stand-up routines that were characterized by intense, sudden tirades and he would scream a lot. Huh? Yeah. Very, very wild guy. Um, but also seemed to be very beloved, even though he was like high octane. According to reports, Kinnison became disillusioned with the script. He began commissioning rewrites while also seeking creative control. The studio got involved and filed a lawsuit. The problems involving Kinnison's tyrannical behavior, coupled with the actor's alcoholism, led to a halt in production. In 1992, negotiations began again, and Kinnison reassumed the role. On April 10, 1992, Kinnison made his way to a comedy performance when a drunk driver struck his vehicle in a head-on collision. Despite suffering serious injuries, Kinnison was not killed instantly. Oh, instantly is... That uh, doesn't bode well. I would rather. Thank you. Um, so it's reported Kinnison stated, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. He paused before saying, but why? Paused again and said, okay, okay, okay. Wow. Yep. Very creepy. Yeah. And then he succumbed to his injuries. Oh. A friend of Kinnison stated, whatever voice was talking to him gave him the right answer and he just relaxed with it. He died of internal injuries. Yeah. And it's like he was talking to something. Wow. Yeah. So it took screenplay, found its way to another comedic actor, <laughs> John Candy. Yeah. Wow. I'm sorry. The most precious yeah. thing. You know, John Candy. He's so good. Oh, man. Candy requested a copy of the script in 1993 and after reading it, agreed to play the lead role. In 1994, while on vacation from filming Wagons East, Candy was found dead in his hotel room. Though no autopsy was performed. <gasps> you didn't perform an autopsy on an unattended death? <laughs> I'm sorry. I read that wrong the first time. That's weird. It's sus. Hmm. Maybe his doctor just signed off on it. Like, eh, he had issues. Huh. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Still, that's very odd. So Candy's cause of death was presumed a heart attack. Presumed, because no autopsy was done. Death was unattended. It's thought that screenwriter Michael O'Donohue either provided Candy with the screenplay or read it alongside him. O'Donohue died from a brain hemorrhage at the age of 54, only eight months after Candy's passing. Wow. So a friend. He was yeah. trying to get casted. And then in 1996, United Artists sought to produce the screenplay yet again and approached Chris Farley for the role of a took. Holy shit. I'm so sorry. I feel... It's weird, right? All it these famous comedians. Re I mean, I get like a lot of comedians OD'd in the a 80s A lot of 90s, drugs, so like, a lot of alcohol, bad diets. Ew. I mean, at that point... I guess it speaks to how good they expected the movie to be because I feel like I would have given up at this point. You know, that's really funny because the book was Mordecai Richler's like 
it's like early days. Yeah. And reportedly it's not that good. Interesting. Yeah. Like it's over the top. It's too much. It's almost like a South Park episode, but South Park, that specific South Park episode is done better. I've heard another person say. Yeah. Um, another Canadian writer. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's crazy. But at the same time, it's like he did go on to do better literature yeah. later in life. That's like pretty famous, I guess. Yeah. Fucking gnarly. So Farley was a lifelong fan of John Belushi and modeled much of his career after the actor. Farley was ecstatic to take a role once considered by his late hero. Farley's friend and colleague, Phil Hartman, who was also famous from SNL, considered taking a role alongside him. Farley was a superstar within the world of comedy movies, and Hartman was a longtime performer on the sketch comedy series Saturday Night Live. It seemed it took was destined to be a hit. Unfortunately, whether or not that would prove true is unknown, as the curse of a took struck again. On December 18, 1997, Farley was found dead by his brother John after ingesting a speedball, a combination of cocaine and morphine. He was 33 years old, dying the same age as his idol, John Belushi. Wow. Also, I didn't realize he was 33. I thought he was older. I didn't realize he was, yeah, he was very young. Isn't it so funny? Like how much older people back in the day looked than they were? Yes. Our our expectations, if you look at the way Hollywood looks now versus the way Hollywood looked in like. Totally different worlds. It's crazy. Yeah. the, The things that they do to like, it makes me think of that book series, The Uglies and the Pretties. Where they like they surgically enhance people after a certain age, but they also make them dumber. It was a very blatant criticism. Oh, <laughs> clearly. Society, but it was like one of those things that like you read in middle school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome, actually. That sounds good. <laughs> oh man. So Phil Hartman had an unstable marriage and often got into heated arguments with his wife Bryn, the guy that was good friends with yeah. you know, with Chris Farley. On May 27th, 1998, Hartman returned home from a restaurant and got into another heated row. After the argument, Hartman retired to his room and fell asleep. At 3 a.m., Bryn entered the bedroom, armed with a revolver, and shot Hartman between the eyes. Holy shit. Yeah. The crime scene photos are insane. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty intense. After murdering her husband, Bryn fled to a friend's house where she confessed Initially, her friend did not believe her, but after returning to the house and seeing Hartman's body for himself, he called police. Wow. Not good. No. It's, it's real crazy. Yeah. I've done a lot of research on this in the past. It's absolutely horrific. Yeah. Holy shit. Just because they didn't fucking get along and see eye to eye. She didn't sound like the greatest person. No, I can't imagine. I mean, getting... it takes two, but at the same time, like, come on. I can't imagine, unless there was like a serious abuse and like fear of leaving going on. I can't imagine getting into an argument with a spouse and being like, well, my only solution is to just put a bullet between their eyes. Yeah, there, I, that's crazy. There's no evidence of yeah, any she's of just that. crazy. Wow. Sucks. While the police escorted everyone else out of the house, Bryn locked herself inside of the bedroom. So she was there. Police came, didn't do anything about her. Didn't like remove her you from know, the murderer. Right. <laughs> According to reports, Bryn shouted, I told you I did it. I killed him, and I don't know why I did it. Shortly after, Bryn committed suicide by shooting herself. Wow. Probably wouldn't have happened if the police had, you know, put her Detained in Detained her? Yeah. Much? 
Wow. And this is in the 90s. This yeah. is 98. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm a famous people, you know? Yeah. But maybe that's part of the problem is like, oh, they, they didn't assume that maybe she had done it, even though they were yeah. probably told she had yeah. by her friend. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. I wasn't there. Wow. What is to be made of the bloody trail following those involved with the Atuk project? Some believe the curse is real while others dismiss it. Each person involved in Atuk to meet their demise had personal struggles before ever encountering the screenplay. Hartman had a turbulent relationship with his wife. O'Donohue suffered from frequent migraines and Farley, Belushi, Candy, and Kinnison all abused drugs and alcohol. Though United Artists and screenwriter Todd Carroll deny claims of the supernatural, film executives ordered a seizure of the Atuk script and the film now sits unmade. It should be noted that within Inuit shamanism exists a creature called the Tupolak. The Tupolak is a monster or spirit of vengeance created from animal parts and even corpses, then sent out to seek and destroy its target. Is the curse of the Atuk real or a mere case of unfortunate coincidences? The world may never know for certain. Wow. I mean, I wouldn't sign up to act in it. Six is a lot. No. It's a lot of bodies. If I were a heavy-duty white guy who worked in comedy, I would not sign up for this film. <laughs> Even after, like, three people, I'd be like, so, I think I'm good. There are people that are interested in rebooting this film. One of them is Jack Black. No! Don't do it. No, don't do it. Maybe the article was wrong, but I read a thing. It said it was you. No, don't do no it. No Jack Black. <laughs> no Danny DeVito. America's you stay far, yes. far away. <laughs> America's sweethearts stay away from we this We're not screenplay. emotionally prepared for that to happen. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> Actually, Robin Williams was also somebody that was lightly wow. mentioned yeah. to have a loose connection to this film. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, totally separate thing in my opinion. Yeah. It's interesting, though. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Cursed films and one that never got made. Holy shit. Super cursed. It's a super curse. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fun. like That's crazier to me than The Exorcist. That, Isn't it? Uh, yeah. I think so, too. As like I was starting to do my little dive about The Crow, and then I was like, hold on. Yeah. What is this what right now? Fuck? Fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We will move on to B movies. I'm excited for B movies. I'm going to leave um the most popular one for last. I will just say that it has been called the king of B movies that delivers tacky goods by the truckloads. In my opinion, it doesn't fall so technically a B movie is a movie that has less than two million dollar budget. Okay. In my eyes, if you have a close to $2 million budget, you don't fall into my personal <laughs> B-movie category. I think that's a little too fancy. But we'll start with one of my favorites, and it's actually a, a um, anthology series. Okay. It's relatively old-ish. It came out in the early aughts. It is a series called Masters of Horror. <gasps> yes. Um, and I could not, it is considered B movies, but I could not find the budget anywhere. Not for a single episode. Really? Yeah. Like just doesn't I exist. Could not find it anywhere. Couldn't find what it grossed. I can tell you if you watch them, it's very clear they're B movies, but yeah, could not find even a rough estimate. I even scored Reddit. I was like, Reddit is going to have the answer. If there's. I'm telling you, I know your research style and I know just how you are in general as, as a lefty. 
You would have found that information if it was out there. That is weird. I was very frustrated by it. I tried like looking it up different ways. There's a possibility it's behind a paywall on IMDb, but I'm not sure. And I didn't want to pay and then find out that I couldn't, that they didn't have yeah. it. So either way, if you watch them, they're B. They're very clearly low budget, but it That's is part of the fun. Yeah. They're, I, I love them. They are really goofy, but some of them are, are really well done still. It is a TV series created by director Mick Garris. You will probably best know him for um, writing and producing Hocus Pocus. <gasps> oh, and he wow. also uh, produced, directed the Stephen King film Sleepwalkers. So he, oh, that's awesome. he is familiar with the kind of spooky era stuff. Masters of Horror was actually born of him inviting some of his director friends, the quote unquote masters, to dinner. And then it just kind of became a regular thing. And he would loop in more and more of these so-called masters. So I'm going to list some of these directors because some of them are very big names. There's John Carpenter. You might know him for the Halloween franchise. Oh, yeah. Um, he also did The Fog, Prince of Darkness, The Thing. Larry Cohen. You might know him for Return to Salem's Lot. It's Alive, Hell Up in Harlem, Maniac Cop. Don Coscarelli, Phantasm, John Dies at the End. Oh. Joe Dante, Dante, Gremlins, The Hole, Piranha, The Twilight Zone. Guillermo de Toro. Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth, yeah. Mimic, Hellboy, Pinocchio, Shape of Water, Blade 2, Crimson Peak, Nightmare Alley, The Strain, Pacific Rim. He's got a lot of things under his belt. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, man. Stuart Gordon from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids franchise, Body yeah. Snatchers, Dagon, Tobe Hooper, who did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, Poltergeist, Invaders from Mars, Night Terrors, The Djinn. John Landis of The Twilight Zone, The Three Amigos, The Blues Brothers, Animal House, Coming to America, and American Werewolf in London, and Psych. Bill Malone, um, he did Tales from the Crypt. He did House on Haunted Hill. He did Creature. And then, of course, Garris himself, who, you know, I said Hocus Pocus, Sleepwalkers, The Fly, organized these regular dinners with this group and inviting other horror and genre directors. Other ones I didn't mention include Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, James Gunn, Mary Lambert, Tom Holland, Eli Roth, Dario Argento, Wes Craven, Rob Zombie, Brian Singer. There's a lot, a lot of really big names it's that question of like if you could have dinner with anyone in right? history and this guy is having the most badass right? dinner on the planet yeah <laughs> oh my god so this it is wow. a tv series but they were one hour yeah films um and he let these these masters write and direct these films and there were two seasons from 2005 and 2006 and then i believe they actually Carried on with another season, but they changed the title to The Fear or something like that. It wasn't super popular. They are B-movies, but I think they're fantastic. So how many episodes in total did they come out with? Or is it like a regular season? Like, it's really like, not that many. Not that many. I think I think in total, maybe 25 or 30 episodes between okay. the two seasons. But if you think about it, a one-hour film yeah, there's for like each. You, you could absolutely, it would be a while to binge them. Some of them are really intense. The the episode that stuck with me the most, I watched this in high school, is called Jennifer. It's directed by Dario Argento and written by Steven Weber, who also stars as the, as the main character in this okay. film. Um, and you might know Steven from 13 Reasons Why. He plays the principal in that show. Oh, I yeah. never watched it, but that's... <laughs> don't? Yeah, I've, I've, but... I've heard enough about it. I don't, I'm not interested in watching it, it but... It's one of my favorite series of all time. So, he, yeah, he wrote it and he starred in it. Um, Jennifer is loosely adapted from a 10-page black and white comic um, that was written by Bruce Jones and illustrated by Bernie um, Wrightson. And 
This is the only Masters of Horror episode in season one that requires cuts in order to be on TV because there's a lot of, it's a very horrifying and erotic episode. Oh. Yeah, so there's this, there's gonna be spoiler alerts, just a heads up. There's this very deformed character, this girl who is the the antagonist in the the Jennifer. Film, Jennifer. Okay. And the main character, the guy that Steven Weber plays, is a detective. He comes across someone, some deranged guy trying to kill her with a meat cleaver, and he saves her. And then for whatever reason, after he brings her to the police station, they can't figure out who like her home is, so he just brings her home. Over the course of the show, she tries to make out with his wife, but like bites her lips off. She eats their household cat. She eats the neighbor child. Not well. She's like got a really beautiful body, but her face is super deformed. She's got sharp teeth. God, this the, sounds familiar. It's it's I very must have di- seen this very in disturbing. The, the the two scenes that they cut out were a graphic oral sex scene um, where she gives him head in in, a, in his police car, and then another graphic oral sex scene where she eats a boy's penis. Okay, that's graphic. The first yes. one I don't understand. Like, what? What is she doing? Well, so the or do they she literally? Seduces, sh- oh, they don't. They don't show anything. Like you see yeah. it in the. I mean, it's gross, but like you don't see anything yeah. inappropriate. It's um, just disturbing. It's really disturbing because they don't make it sexy. They make it yeah. like she's. Gross. It's very clear that she has some kind of like influence over him, and like she like absolutely train wrecks his life. The episode actually ends with him finally snapping going to kill her with a meat cleaver and then being shot dead by these hunters and like you kind of see the cycle repeat such a oh good oh my god i must have seen it's this. so disturbing um oh i love it yeah it's it's really <laughs> horrific it's low budget but they did a really fantastic job with the special effects despite the budget but that is not to say that this is the most disturbing of their episodes from that series there was actually an episode that was not released at all on tv because it was so horrific. Um, it was an episode from season one called Imprint. It was written and directed by Takashi Miike. I think oh, that's his name. Takashi Miike. Miike, yes. So uh, as if you're familiar with him, yeah. you know he's highly controversial for Definitely. just being like <laughs> really graphic and violent in his movies. Yeah, almost senselessly in a yes. way. Like he yeah. very... Some of his best known films are... Um, Audition, Ichi the Killer, uh, Gozu, One Missed Call, um, the Dead or Alive trilogy. So his, this story imprint, I won't go into a lot of detail. It was supposed to be shown on Showtime and they banned it <laughs> and said it was not going to be broadcasted. Even on Showtime? Mm-hmm. That kind of surprises oh, me. I've watched some messed up stuff it on is Showtime. graphic. I, um, I haven't watched it since high school, but I remember there are scenes where they, like you watch them shove needles up someone's fingernails. Um, there's follows the story of a prostitute and there are there's rape there's incest there's a lot of torture it's oh, really God. really gruesome so you can watch it you can watch it yeah it was released it just wasn't released on it they wouldn't broadcast it so like you can watch it on i think masters of horror is currently on prime or tubi yeah um, yeah something so, like that so you can you can watch it but it is it is really graphic um there's a quote from imprint that is this island isn't in the human world demons and whores are the only ones living here oh it's it's really good but it's it is horrific and i can see how um it's just what he's he's known for yeah yeah 
Audition was the first movie I had ever seen as a teenager from yeah. Takashi. It's yeah, he 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 makes some very very dark stuff. Yeah, it's memorable. <laughs> so. I, I won't go over every single Masters of Horror episode. I think I, those are the two to kind of highlight for as you. As much as it sounds fun, it's really good. Um, <laughs> I I highly recommend them. They are low budget, um, and you can tell, but it's fun. You know, they're they're fun. They're very campy. Um, yeah. Some of them are really are truly disturbing. Um, I I would read the synopsis if you have any specific triggers. I would read the synopsis first because some of them are really terrible but per episode yeah yeah um and if anyone can find what the budgets are for masters of horror even just for one episode i would like to know because i'm so curious i mean they had these really weird huge directors involved yeah that's what i don't understand doesn't make any sense it's got to be somewhere it's got to be it's got to be (laughs) um so we're gonna move on from masters of horror to a, another delightful, campy horror movie. And if you haven't seen it, you need to watch it. It's called Rubber. Nope. So <laughs> Rubber came out in 2010 or 11, and it is about a homicidal tire that kills with its psychokinetic powers. Um, yep. <laughs> it's written and directed by a French filmmaker named Quentin Depew. He's known for wrong cops, deer skin, and mandibles. I couldn't find anything else that he'd done that I had watched. But Rubber... Is about this tire, which they name Robert. Allegedly, Robert was influenced by Wally. Like the movie? Yes, by the animated children's movie. (laughs) Um, So that's amazing. (laughs) The film starts with Robert kind of coming to life, standing upright and discovering that he has these abilities, and he tests out his powers by making animals and inanimate objects explode. So <gasps> this, this episode is absolutely bizarre. So during the, not the episode, this movie, during the movie, there is also an in-film audience. And the cop who is dealing with Robert is also narrating to the audience. Interesting. At some point during the film, though, the audience within the film gets poisoned and dies. It's the most fucking bizarre movie. Just so this is this is the quote oh. from the director. Obviously, we can find a lot of interpretation of the poison, says the filmmaker. Like, oh, yeah, Hollywood is poisoning the audience. Think whatever you want. I just did it because I got bored with the characters. Okay, fuck them. Let's poison them. <laughs> it's, you, but it, it's more like a really intricate second plot point. It is. It is. The, you, this movie is like a weird dream because oh. there's just all these like different aspects that are kind of thrown together. And it's so bizarre. And yeah, it's about a... A, a tire that explodes people with it with his mind. I think the man upstairs would like this episode. It's so good. Oh man. Um, and <laughs> at the end, the narrator slash cop kills Robert, who is then reincarnated as a tricycle that kills um a <laughs> that kills one of the audience members before recruiting an army of tires on his way to Hollywood. Of course he does. So this is, I highly, <laughs> you got to watch it. It's just so goofy. It sounds awesome. Um, it, the budget, there was some varying information as to what the budget was in general. The number that I got was 500,000. Um, oh, so it did, okay. it made some money. It made 680,000 in box office. So they, they walked away with a little bit of cash in their pocket. It's absolutely delightful. I, you need to watch. I need to you watch. You need to watch this. rubber. It's just, <laughs> I, you, you really can't put a finger on it's just the most bizarre i can't think of anything i could possibly compare that there's to. there's nothing there's nothing to compare it yeah, to it is unique and truly. yeah when reading reading up on it and seeing that he said it was inspired by wally it was just like what, what? <laughs> Ab- 
absolutely. I have not seen Wally, but I do know that the opening sequence is like Wally kind of like waking up, I guess. So the opening sequence of rubber to the tire, like waking up and like discovering it has these powers, I oh, guess it's comparable to Wally. You should definitely watch Wally. Yeah. It looks cute. It looks like it'll make me sad, which is the only reason I haven't watched it. Cause it like, I don't like, <sighs> I don't like happy, sad shit. It just All like Pixar wanna, movies yeah, are soul crushing. To, what's the one with the big white, like balloon like creature six something yes do you know what i'm uh, talking big about big six yeah big, or mighty big hero six big hero six we got that there. movie will make you cry and if it doesn't make you cry it. you are crazy it's so sad i went to go watch it on netflix because i knew it was going to disappear and then it disappeared so spoiler alert i need to know the big hero six is a robot that was created by this little boy's brother and the brother dies early on in the movie it is so sad Oh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, it's, it's very good. I watched it in theaters um, with my Aww. ex and his um, nephew and his nephew was like seven at the time. And as we were watching this opening sequence, his, ne- you know, it's very sad. So his, yeah. his nephew starts crying and we're just, we look over and he's just sniffling and we're like, are you crying? And he's like, no, <laughs> it's really sad though. That's cute. <laughs> what a sweet kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, all right, so the next one that I'm going to talk about, Ooh. which you need to watch if you haven't seen, another delightful one. Haven't. A Blinken Vampire Hunter. This movie has a budget of under $100,000. It's directed by the guy whose name I'm not going to try, but he directed Wanted and an Unfriended. Wanted, like The Wanted with Angelina Jolie in it. Yeah. He directed that, and it was produced by Tim Burton. Okay, because this looks like it had a really good budget. And yes. It, not necessarily. No, but it, it is. <laughs> so Whoa. the plot is pretty straightforward. Abe Lincoln, vampire hunter. It is what it sounds like. He fights against slave-owning vampires after one of them kills his mother as a child. That's fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. So although, again, very low budget, produced by Tim Burton, some of the stars in this film include Anthony Mackie, Falcon, if you're not familiar with that, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who is Huntress from Birds of Prey, Kate from Kate, Ramona Flowers from Scott Pilgrim. And this is after Scott Pilgrim. So oh she was God. already big. Yeah. Uh, Dominic Cooper, who is Howard Stark from Captain America. Um, he was also Mohammed II from Dracula Untold, another fantastic oh movie if you haven't seen it. And then Benjamin Walker, who plays Abe Lincoln, is a high elf king in the new Rings of Power TV show. So he beat Adrian Brody and Josh Lucas for this role. So again, <laughs> under a hundred thousand dollar budget, fucking star-studded cast, produced by Tim Burton, directed by the guy who did Wanted. Yes. Yeah, so this came out in I think I want to say like 2012. How is I'm, this a B film other than the content? Just it's like low budget. budget. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's literally just because it, it's considered low budget. But oh it, man, if you haven't seen it, it, it's it's really campy and fun. Um, Benjamin Walker, the guy who plays a Blinken, he did his own stunts. He trained with an axe in order to be able to get comfortable with killing vampires. A quote from the movie, which I enjoyed, um, it's actually a quote from the trailer, and it says, history prefers legends to men. It prefers nobility to brutality, soaring speeches to quiet deeds. History remembers the battle, but forgets the blood. Whatever history remembers of me, if it remembers me at all, it shall only remember a fraction of the truth. For whatever else I am, a husband, a lawyer, a president, I shall always think of myself first and foremost as a hunter. (laughs) Just to give you a little taste. 
That's great. Yeah. That's it's, awesome. Yeah. I, I watched this shortly after it came out. I remember renting it on Redbox when I was in college. Oh, um, man. And being surprised because based on the title, I was like, this is going to be really bad. I was looking forward to it. I enjoy bad movies, but it, it's delightful. Yeah. yeah. I remember when the, the book came out in Borders. I was working at Borders at the time. And then there was another one. Um, Jesus it, Vampire Hunter? Because that's also. No, it was another one. I want to say by the same author, but a spoof of Pride and Prejudice. Oh, yes. There is also a Pride and Prejudice Vampire yeah. Hunter. That one's actually pretty good, too. Is I it? watched it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's fun. I actually, no, I don't think it's vampires. I think it's zombies. The Pride zombies. Hunter's one is zombies. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But it is, they're, they're both, like, they're, <laughs> it is worth the watch. Abe Lincoln Vampire Hunter walked so that. Yes. So that Pride and Prejudice could walk. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's what it seems like to me. Yeah. Good oh, for no, it's, it is truly delightful. <laughs> um, oh, so awesome. before we get to the king of B-movies, of course, we're going to need to talk about Velocipaster because that is my favorite B-movie now. Came out in 2017, was written, directed, and edited by Brendan Steer. Um, he came up with the idea when he was in college. He made like a, a, a parody trailer on youtube and it did really well and he was like oh he came up with the idea for velocipaster because he wrote velociraptor he was texting someone and for whatever reason that came up and his phone autocorrected velociraptor <laughs> to velocipaster and he was like that's an idea that is an idea yeah. so he made a short film of fake grindhouse trailers um for one of his class projects and it included the velocipaster and that project did really well on YouTube. And so um, <laughs> he his he's quoted as saying, the movie is made to be fun and anybody looking for deeper meaning in the man turns into a dinosaur genre is probably on a fool's errand. <laughs> oh, I love that. So fool's this is errand. the most B movie of everything we've discussed. But the budget is $36,000. And you can tell because <laughs> the <laughs> Velociraptor pastor, when they like the costume, yeah, it's paper mache. And you can tell. Amazing. It's, I, mean, I, I absolutely love this. He says he was influenced by Guillermo de Toro. The money they got from it, um, they were funded by one of his friend's mothers. Um, it's, one of his friend's mothers. It is absolutely delightful. There's a That's second good. one coming, which if you watched our live stream, you know there's another second one coming up. Actually, the crowdfunding has ended. Oh, no. Um, I've lost my opportunity to get the signed VHS tape. Um, my heart's a little broken, but that is exciting. They made way more than they were initially needing for their crowdfunding That's purposes. Great. And the, I think they have like $180,000 now. If they made this masterpiece with $36,000, think what they can do <laughs> with three times that, oh four God. times that. Hold on. The movie poster says the Velocipaster, the man of the cloth. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of a man of cloth. <laughs> so good so this <gasps> this guy travels to china on a spiritual journey he comes across ninjas who are looking for an ancient artifact that supposedly turns people into the quote-unquote dragon warrior um he gets scratched by the artifact and it gets infected and he begins having nightmares about becoming this dinosaur this is not at all what i thought it's so good <laughs> so he one night transforms into the dinosaur and is running through the forest and he comes across a prostitute who is being attacked by these thugs and the scene is fantastic. Again, you just get these little split shots of this paper mache monster um, and blood splaying everywhere. And then he wakes up in her bed naked and is like, oh, no, what happens? And he think, thinks that they had sex and is really concerned about it. No, it's worse. Uh, no, it's much worse. 
Um, it is just <laughs> delightfully campy and they kind of, it ends with them kind of running off into the sunset together. You got to watch it. It is, it is the king of B movies. Again, I know I asked you this before. Where can I stream this? I watched it on Peacock. Okay. That's um, right. I think it's also on Prime maybe or HBO. Mm-hmm. It's, it's on one other place other than just Peacock, but I watched <sighs> it on Peacock. It looks so fun. It's delightful. I love it. And I even got John to watch some of it and he hates B-movies. B-movies? You just got to watch the awesomely bad film. There are so many mistakes in the movie that you know they just were like, yeah, fuck it, leave it in. Like you can see the boom in certain corners or like the camera (laughs) and a mirror or whatever. I love that shit. That's what makes it even more fun to me. Yeah, because you can tell it's like people having fun with it. And yeah, they did. They did a great job. I love it. There's some like really fun suggestions down below. Yeah. Some of the like, like you might also like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's one that's ringing a bell, Killer Sofa. And if you watch the trailer to that shit, oh my God, this thing is wreaking havoc. I think it throws someone off of a balcony. Like, <laughs> it's got a mouth in the back of the sea. Like, <laughs> you get, the best B movies are the ones where, like, like rubber, where it's just like yeah. a fucking ridiculous pot. Or what? There's a Thanksgiving one where the, t- the Thanksgiving turkey turns around and starts killing people. Um, there's a gingerbread man B That's movie good. where the gingerbread man like, goes and kills a bunch of people. Yeah, I, I I think technically Black Christmas is is a B movie. Technically, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Are we talking OG or yes. newer? OG. Yeah, yeah. The OG one. One of the main characters is actually she also played Juliet in the original film Romeo and Juliet. Oh wow, they yeah. had they there's some shit with that movie. Yeah, the like just straight up child abuse. Yep. Yeah, yep. Gotta watch Velocipaster. <laughs> it's it is. Just fantastic. It sounds amazing. The king, though, of B-movies, the one that has, you know, tacky goods by the truckloads. I, to me, it doesn't fall under my rating of a B-movie. It had a $1.8 million budget. So it's like on the line. Yeah. That's a, that's a sizable budget. And it was made in the 80s. So a $1.8 million budget in the 80s. In the 80s? Yeah. Oh my God, what is it? Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Get the fuck out. It is the king of B-movies. It was written, directed, and produced by the Chiodo Brothers. Oh. The only movie written and directed by them. The It was actually originally titled Just Killer Clowns, and they added the outer space part to make sure no one was confused as to the plot. Mm. Um, so actually, there's a plot about these evil aliens. They look like clowns. They invade Earth because they want to harvest human blood. Just very generic. Oh, that's terrible. Um, it was um. actually Christopher Titus's first movie role. Um, he's from Bad Parents, um, 21 Jump Street, yeah. uh, Twilight Zone, CSI Miami. The most expensive prop in this film was a popcorn gun that actually shot popcorn. It cost $7,000 to Why? make. And it took, <laughs> it, like the, the propellant or whatever that they used, it, was, it took six huh. weeks to build. Most of the cars in the film were rented, so they were not supposed to be damaged. However, they were. (laughs) Um, One car was driven off a bridge accidentally. Um, One car was damaged internally from some kind of goop they used or something, and it cost $3,000 to repair. So um, there was probably... They were not as careful maybe with some of their prop items as they should have been. I suppose. Jojo the Clownzilla, who is the huge clown at the end of the movie, if you've seen it, he was actually supposed to be a stop motion character and they ended up changing their mind and they, it was one of the directors in a giant rubber suit. Ooh, I don't know what's worse. Stop motion's pretty creepy though. Yeah, I, yeah. Stop motion creeps me out. Yeah. 
Two of the masks from the film for the clowns were actually repurposed and used to make trolls in the 1991 movie Ernest Scared Stupid. My favorite Ernest movie is Ernest Scared Stupid. (gasps) Yeah. Get out. Um, Oh my God. Yeah. Again, I mean, if you watch it, it is very B-movie-esque. Yeah. Um, but to me, the budget is kind of like, I mean, the loss of pastor did with $36,000 yeah. and y'all had 1.8 million to mess around with. <laughs> Could have done better. That's very interesting. Like thinking about like, again, $36,000 now yeah. versus what that would have got you then. Yeah. And you I know. get like, I mean... The thing is, it's not like Velocipaster. They didn't have high tech stuff. I mean, you know, no. their, their props were very like practical. Basic. Yes. Yeah. Practical effects yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, it got mixed reviews from critics. It, it's a B movie. They always get mixed reviews, but it is. I mean, when you when you think of B movies, Killer Clowns from Outer Space is usually top of that list. Yes. It's a very classic B movie. I've definitely heard of it. Unfortunately, have not seen it. I feel like you're awakening a love in me for more B movies that I was just like not privy to. Me a good B movie. Um, Movies are so fun. Killer Clowns is. I mean, I've seen it. It's okay, but it's not like I see why it's a classic. But it it is like just kind of. Would you consider Tusk a B movie? No, I actually wanted to include that on this list, and I looked it up, and the budget is significantly above what it could have been for a B movie. Because I could see the budget being like crazy high. I would fit it under the like essence of a b-movie it feels like a b-movie but the quality is much higher yeah. so like the plot b-movie all the way yeah the quality of the content amazing is fantastic it's very well done they have very good actors in it the props are decent yeah. considering what production the plot is is really yeah. good so production value is quite high but it okay. is you know i i would say it's it's on the line yeah it's a b-plus movie maybe i think the budget was like Three million for it, or like eight million, or it wasn't a lot, but it was, you know. What about that movie we made you guys watch, Hobo with a Shotgun? I looked that <laughs> up too because I thought for sure Hobo with a Shotgun is a, was B, a movie. B movie. It's not. Oh, was it? The really budget expensive? is actually pretty high. I think the budget for Hobo with a Shotgun was actually above Tusk. It's. Cr- <laughs> I mean, when you think about all the special effects and all the yeah. blood and gore and the, the extras and stunts and stuff, I get it. Rucker Hauer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they had to pay a guy to eat glass, so you know. Oh my God, that movie's so rough. It's it looks so- like they just made everyone in that film do what they needed to do yes. in the moment. It's. It is. I mean. It, I, <laughs> Again, it's one of those movies that it's not technically a B movie, but, but like it it's a B movie. And presents yeah. and is kind of meant to be in the genre. The same as like Tremors, I feel like yeah, toes Tremors. the line. The budget for Tremors is huge. Is it? Um yeah. Like I love surprisingly. That. I mean they got Kevin Bacon. Um although yeah. so did then you know, Abe Lincoln Vampire Hunter <laughs> got some pretty big people. Um, huge yeah. yeah but tremors uh, tremors is not a b movie technically again one of my favorite horror series because it's not really horror but yeah. like tremors <laughs> is just very campy and good um and there's a lot of them the first few are good they kind of like most things maybe they should like you know yeah cut it off after a point <laughs> i definitely like the first one and then yeah. everything else after it is like ah, it's yeah it's fine what a fun list. Yeah. That was interesting. I loved hearing about the budgets, too. There's another B movie. I think it's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's the one with the Uniboob woman. It's a really campy kung fu movie. That technically... The heroine in it is like, yes. oh, wee, oh, wee, oh, wee. I watched it. I probably shouldn't have because I haven't <gasps> seen it in a long time, but I watched it as a kid. Childhood me is like, oh, that movie was serious. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was, too, as a kid. I was like, yeah. yeah. And then I watched it. 
more recently with John. And I was like, wow, that's like, it was intended to be very goofy. Oh man. Um, it's a very, I don't know. You know what? Let's look up the budget for that. It has to be low. No fucking shot. (laughs) The budget for this movie was 15 million. I believe it. It's so goofy, but it's beautiful. It is beautiful. Um, <laughs> there's lots of yeah, flying there's, actors. There's a lot of flying. <laughs> it's very classic kung fu flying actors. Fly, oh yeah, like spraying blood. Fifteen million. Um, Fifteen million, and it grossed two hundred and thirteen point five million worldwide. I did not know um, it's starring Michelle Yeoh. Very famous yeah. actors. Um, but yeah, it's it is incredibly goofy. If it's the one, it's the one with the uniboob woman, right? Or maybe she had three boobs. If it's not that, that is the one I'm thinking of. Is the one with the woman with three boobs? I'm pretty sure it's it was Crouching t- Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, <laughs> you know what though? Looking at screen grabs from it, I don't. Hang on. Maybe it was a knockoff making fun of Crouching oh, Tiger. Oh, it might have been. Um, Kung Fu movie. Kung Pao. Okay, hang on. Oh. <laughs> okay, that makes more sense. Yes. Okay. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> it was Kung Pao Enter the Fist, not Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Kung Pao. Um, but was that movie supposed to emulate Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? I don't know, because now I don't think I've seen. No fucking way. What? What was the budget? Was the budget? $10 million? <laughs> no, it was not. That's great. Is it? No. Okay, Kung Pao's not what I was thinking of either. But I have seen Kung Pao, and it is quite funny. It's the one with the white guy. Yes. Yes. No. What? Okay. This is what is the movie? absolutely fucking crazy. Nope. Okay. It was Kung Pao. <gasps> I haven't seen it, it since it came out, So, and I was a kid. Okay. Yes, it is someone with one breast. So it is Kung Pao Enter the Fist, which has apparently a fucking $10 million budget, which is insane. $10 million for that movie? Yeah. I mean, whatever. I'm, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <gasps> what? Wait. Hang on. Okay. Kung Pao Enter the Fist. Another memorable moment. This is a quote. Another memorable moment involves the appearance of Jennifer Tung, who plays Wo. Tongue has one breast, which is used for comedic effect in her scene. There were no special effects used. No, no way. That can't be true. Hang on. Wait. Hang on. <laughs> no way. They're saying no special effects were used. What does that mean? What are you saying? <laughs> Go away. I don't want two tabs. Thank you. There okay. must have been practical effects. That can't that can be true. There's no shot that she has one boob in the center of her chest. No, no, no. no. There, there were practical effects, no. special effects in the yes, sense okay. of. Okay, um, so this is oh, right. this is the image. <laughs> okay, it's real crazy There's only looking. One way to, they're gonna just question my search history. Jennifer Tung, <laughs> because of the one position, breast. it's like a tumor. Is what it looks yeah. like. Is it considered cleavage if there's only one? I guess you could have. Uh, no, what are you, was it? What's it cleaving with on either yeah, side? Yeah, there's no cle- there's no cleaving. Um, <laughs> whoa, who only has one large protruding, scantily clad breast? <laughs> oh my gosh, um, what a description! Yeah, so I watched that as a whenever it came out as a kid, 2002. I think that's hilarious. Your yeah. parents let you watch. That. Oh, I I think it was one of the many instances of my dad allowing me to watch something that if my mom had been present, she would not have been happy about. Understandable. Yeah, yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I feel like I have a list of things I need to I watch know. now. I know. We're going to cursed and B movies. And Ooh. I bet there's some cursed <laughs> B movies. We're going to have to look that up. Good job. Me too. All right. That's all.
and uh, stay dirty, folks. Stay dirty.